They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. No one mutes me. No one. I All swear right. to God, I'm, I'm already moving. Shut the fuck up, there. Roman. <laughs> and I want to get on myself. such a fire intro yo fuck whoever made that intro bro <laughs> it's sick dude i love it welcome to another the hold on i got some shit going on in the background here give me one second whoops welcome right. to another edition of the occult book club with one-on-one and paranoid american i'm gonna just let you do this bro you're a natural <laughs> so you know, uh, Roman, you were talking about how crazy this is, right? But you don't even know. Did you notice my new title, The Rabbit Hole Master? That was given to me by our resident Freemason himself, <laughs> Thomas. <laughs> right. So when you have a Freemason telling you that you got some rabbit holes on rabbit holes, you know, it's serious, bro. I made him whip out like this occult book earlier. We were, we were having a meeting earlier and he whipped out this secret book, bro. He was revealing to me like... The secrets. He's like, now nah, everybody can just buy this. Bro, that's not true. That's not true. That's not. Oh, hold on. I got to get my light real quick. Give me one second. Check this we were out. talking about the bridge to light because I can't remember what came up. It was like the 18th degree of uh, Scottish Rite masonry that was brought up in some old 1920s pamphlet that we're going to get into. Yeah. So we're, we're going to be talking about some, some of Manly, Daddy Manly P. Hall's work. His work. Let me pull up my stuff here real quick. I'm so, so unprofessional. Look at me. So, wow, yeah. People have a lot of high expectations of our professionality over here while we're explaining the deep esoterica. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, we're, we're going to have a good uh, a kickoff to this, too, because there's some other, like, fun facts. Like, we were, me and Juan have been uh, kicking back and forth for a while. Like, where did Manly P. Hall get all this time and all these mm. resources we to know. just kind of, like, study books and travel the world and get into esoteric, you know, philosophies and stuff and make that his life's career and it yeah. turns out that uh 
you know, he had some sugar mamas. He had a, a, a oh, don't mother spill the and beans daughter. Yet, Thomas, don't spill the beans, bro. Okay, all right, I'll save that. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, you gotta, you this, gotta this imagine is, this isn't that. live. This isn't live. So just edit that part out. Yeah, yeah. So listen, 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 listen. All right. Before we get started, let's share. I'm gonna go first. Share our social media, all this stuff, while people get in here. Right. We got some people in the chat. What's up, Gabe? What's up, Mil- militant funk? How you doing? We got. Grant, what's how, you, up? how you guys doing? Welcome, welcome. Go ahead, sit down, crisscross applesauce, and open up your Torah to chapter 5, verse 27. So before <laughs> we get into it, Paranoid American, where can people find your work? And look at you, uh, ParanoidAmerican.com, um, at Paranoid American on Instagram. And then newly, we've got a whole bunch of materials on Amazon. So if you look for Paranoid American hard enough, if they haven't buried us to page 6 or 7 or... Eight or nine or ten. <laughs> uh, but I got some comic books on there and coloring books. But yeah, paranoidamerican.com. Check out what I'm about. And this mysterious shadow figure who's concealing his identity. Mr. Barley Stone, where can people find your work? The pseudonyms on pseudonyms. I'm coming with that smoke. That heat, baby, you know I'm in the seat for show. I conducted material upon your ass when I burned a toast. Okay, so uh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, so uh, we got Rising from the Ashes podcast. We do themed uh, theme months. This month was Lost Continents, Atlantis, Lemuria. Some amazing guests on. Um, if you're into Manly P. Hall, you know, you can fucking go down the whole Atlantis rabbit hole. That man was a wealth of knowledge upon the human origin story. And, um, yeah, uh, next month we're doing ancient Americas and the whole Tartaria thing, all that good stuff. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, we got a Patreon. I got a special show. It just got them recording, literally hopped off the mic two seconds before it popped over here. Uh, with a, uh, a an awesome astrologer, did some birth chart shit, right. which uh, when you study the esoteric signs and symbolism and everything, you notice these signs that uh, these old uh, occultists are using. It's all ripped off. of It's not ripped off, but it it's cohesive and weaves with astrology. And mm-hmm. I thought that was fascinating. Knowing more about that and then getting my chart read and seeing it, I'm like, I'm seeing that Lilith like okay what's up with Lilith like that's like Adam's first wife dude she's like the dark creatrix type right not, like not in the canon up? bro don't don't be assuming my <laughs> canon don't do that <laughs> oh goodness but yeah man anyways I'm stu- super stoked on this I will uh, fucking glad to see what happens tonight because y'all d- apparently have done some uh been going uh uh super deep on the actual life of Manly P. Hall which is a, a quite a rabbit hole roller coaster huh yeah, hopefully. We got to know where he got his knowledge. I mean, that's that's kind of the mystery in itself, you know. Hopefully, I can get some people on that were close to him, which that's in the works uh, do, to do an interview and, and talk to them about how, what he was really truly like in the flesh. You know what I mean? Like, that's what fascinates me about him because he's been so influential to me and my journey as far as trying to find figure out the secrets to, to all these mysteries. And I think that if I'm able to sit down with somebody and actually figure out you know, what, what he was like and what he talked about and, and, you know, just his mannerisms, like what it must have been like to be in the room with somebody so smart, who's so well-versed in all these things. And I, that's, that's what I'm working on now, but you can find me on any social media platform at the one-on-one podcast. If you found this live stream, you probably already follow me, but just in case you're a first time listener, and this is a side show that I do with Paranoid American, the occult book killer board. We do the research for you. We read about some messed up things and 
we're here for you, okay? We're here to reveal the secrets to you. And we have our, our, our resident Freemason, so he's, he's balls deep in this. <laughs> he's been part of various secret societies, from my knowledge, and we're ready to go. So today we're going to be covering The All-Seeing Eye, which was a journal by, a series of journals by Manly P. Hall. And Paranoid American is going to be giving the intro on that. It was from 1923 to 1931. Today we're going to be trying to stick on volumes one, number one through, uh, volume one, numbers one to, to six, which was in 1923. So go ahead and do your thing, uh, Thomas. It's your time to shine, bro. All right. Well, a quick little intro because I was looking into All Seeing Eye. I actually hadn't heard of it before, um, you know, Juan brought it up. So the first volume was um, every two months. So there were six. And then I think they did another six for one volume. And then they went to quarterly. So there was only four. And then at one point he was putting them out weekly for like six months. Um, so this whole newsletter, this monthly magazine kind of went through a lot of different iterations. And this very first one, I was I really have a, a strong opinion on the first of anything, right? Because this is sort of this new endeavor, this all seeing eye magazine. So this was his chance to put what he thought was important out into the world and see if it floated. And it, you know, went on for many, many volumes. But this very first issue kind of shines a, a big light on uh, what Manly P. Hall really like was thinking of at that time. You felt personally attacked, didn't you, Thomas? Uh, we'll get into that because that was that was much later on. That was in like uh, issue five or six. I'll do your thing, bro. If you want to start <laughs> getting into that so we can give a little bit of background as to who he was and why he received so much hate. Because, right, you go on Reddit and people go, nah, this guy. For the Freemason? Well, nah, bro. Well, Reddit and a lot of uh, Freemason forums and just there's there's a very specific uh, uh, corner of Freemasonry that looks down on Manly P. Hall. And reading through some of these first issues, I can kind of see why, because he kind of calls them out. There's some shots fired out there. He says things like 99% of Masons don't um, know what the hell they're doing and only 1% are really worth anything. <laughs> and then he, he actually, he goes even deeper than that. He kind of calls out like three or four notable people. Albert Pike was one of them, but he was like out of 2 million Freemasons on the planet at that time, you know, there's like four or five notable ones. So what the hell all you are, all you other Masons doing with all this like secret arcane knowledge that you're not becoming, you know, uh, spectacular and releasing all this new information on the world. So he kind of took it upon himself. And while he did that, you know, Freemasons were not happy because he was divulging some of their secrets. And on top of that, he got some stuff a little bit um, miscommunicated or wrong. Uh, just because he was kind of from the outside looking in. And then apparently once he actually became a Freemason in like 1954, uh, after he had already done most of his, you know, large works, he completely stopped talking about it altogether because he took this uh, Freemasonic, you know, creed and um, was no longer, you know, speaking about it publicly, writing about it. So like, anyways, oh, this he... is why they don't do it. There's an oath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So So he's got this kind of interesting background with Freemasonry, but for... Uh, a, a tiny little minority. There's a lot of Freemasons that you bring up Manly P. Hall's name and, you know, they'll just scoff at them. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've seen that like quite a bit. And obviously a lot of these secret societies, right? That's their whole thing. These higher levels of initiation, you need to take that, the, the sworn secrecy, you can't say anything. And then, but I mean, obviously you're going to have whistleblowers here and there. And I was talking to, to Thomas about this, about these secret societies and people where how much of it is actually, 
blown up out of proportion. How much of it is actually true, right? We have the Hellfire Clubs, the OGs of Do What Thou Wilt, and how horrible and horrendous these guys were. And the, even the Gnostics, right? The Gnostics in the first, second, third century, they were very underground. That was what it was all about. They were doing alleged sex magic and they had talismans and that's the whole thing behind Abraxas because they, they were on talismans and they didn't know what to do and then you have you know talismanic magic so in order to do that you need to do certain things right to charge it so how much of it was it again it was a lot of the history that we know about the Gnostics is written by these church fathers which hated the Gnostics so how much of it is propaganda how much of it was actually true was it as horrible as they say it was did the Knights Templar you know, was everything exaggerated against them? Because there's conspiracy in that as well. Not saying that they were good guys. I'm sure they were pieces of shit, but interesting nonetheless. You know what I mean? So uh, uh, Thomas and I were talking and we wanted to get into this because, dude, there are some rabbit holes that just popped up. Well, well, well let me start out really quick. I'm going to uh, share my screen if I can. Yeah, I'm going to pull you up now. All right. So we're going to pull up. There you go. All right. So this is the a cover of the very first issue, um, and I'm just going to show what I think is really important is well, we have you know the little title page. It's going to be on all of them. They all kind of start with a poem. This one interesting starts with a, a poem from an inmate of Folsom Prison. But what what I thought was like the coolest thing ever is the very first article of the very first issue of his very first you know public magazine. He has this article called Nonsense out of as a factor in soul growth. And there's a couple parts in here. I'm just going to read um, one part that really, really stuck out to me. And he's talking about there's this weighty problem in humanity where everyone forgets the necessity of humor and the value of mental and spiritual recreation. Um, and he mentions that this result of losing the ability to laugh and to relax at this massive thought and incessant labor causes an unbalance in the ultimate spiritual crystallization. So he kind of mentions that if you lose the ability to laugh at yourself and you lose the ability to not take things seriously, um, that you're basically spiritually stunted and to not, you know, get crazy into your studies to where you, uh, you're no longer just like enjoying trivial things with friends and the rest of humanity. And the fact that this was the very first thing that he kind of like came out of the gate punching with, uh, I mean, coming from publishing comic books, I just absolutely love this. Yeah, and uh, following that is also the blue thing, right? Did you want to get into that now, or did you want to get into that later? You go for it, because uh, I remember this blew your mind a little bit. So, you know, I'm the type of person not to be like, hold on, not to be all... Illuminati confirmed. But the more I look into things, the more occult symbolism that I see. All right, And not everything is a conspiracy, but everything is a conspiracy. And Thomas here... Not to reveal too much of his prior lives, and, and I say <laughs> lives because, again, he's part of these secret mystery schools, and he's, he's been dabbling in this for some years now. And he, he's, in a past life, I did clean the chamber pot of Hermes. <laughs> and he was, you know, he's dancing with the lizards, jumping through the fires and all this shit, you know what I mean? So, not to, to reveal too much, but he's got experience in the realm of digital design and arts, right? He's a comic book publisher. We got something special coming up soon, ladies and gentlemen, which I think people are really going to enjoy. And he, he confirmed a conspiracy for me about that. I've been talking about saying, Hey, you know, we've been led to, and mind you, this is sprouting <laughs> from these readings. A lot of these, 
Uh, can, did you talk about the noir type of stories that are in here, Thomas? No, I, that's actually one of the, my favorite parts about this. Is that again, this is Manly P. Hall writing it in 1920s. So in addition what, to 20, all this, what? like he's 20, he's what? 23, I think. Oh, this is 19. He's 22 years old uh, when this first issue comes out, and this is in in 1923. Um, and the the crazy thing is that all of this like mystical Eastern philosophy is completely wrapped up with, you know, guys wearing fedoras and lighting cigarettes and they've got like a revolver that's tucked, you know, but beneath their trench coat. So there's all this like really cool film noir perspective to all of the esoteric, you know, teachings that he's got. And um, in addition to just kind of being a bunch of lectures in here, he has a lot of different creative writing aspects. So there's a lot of short stories. Uh, one in particular is called The Third Eye. And it's it has to be autobiographical because a lot of people say that, you know, most writers, especially starting out, all their works are autobiographical at some level. Mm. So his very first story in the first issue is called The Third Eye. And it's about a writer that's writing a book about how to utilize your pineal gland um, to gain all these abilities. And he ends up getting murdered and the cops come and they're trying to investigate and they find this eastern um you know, like guru next door and they try to pin it on him and this guy hypnotizes them and then it has like a little dot 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 to be continued um but it's it just so crazy because uh to me this is like how maybe he saw himself is that he's working on this masterwork and then maybe he felt some element of uh persecution that you know someone was going to come after him and get him because he was writing about these uh you know these these kind of arcane topics so the, I just kind of love this whole aspect to it where it's not just droning on and on about breaking down religious texts and trying to talk about, you know, symbolism. There's also a whole bunch of like detective comic style uh, writing in these. Yeah, it's very story like and I was kind of surprised too when I when I was reading that, because, you know, as many lectures have, as I've listened to of Manly P. Hall, I didn't really get that that he was like into stories and you know all, all this stuff but a lot of these things are presented as stories a lot of the information in here and when well, and we saw a clip where he was in a, a movie or two and like actual hollywood oh, yes. productions did you know that and roman what's up no I, what movies was he in uh we, we'd have to look it up on a side it's on youtube you can watch the whole movie but he's got little uh clips in it and also towards the the mid or later years of his life, he was consulted by Hollywood on all sorts of different scripts. Mm -hmm. And I think wow. there was maybe three or four fairly large movies that were based on sort of his consultation. And I think he's got a list of like 15 to 20 scripts that just never made it. Yeah, he, that's he, beautiful. He did one that I saw that I could confirm that he was in it playing himself. And I think it was like a love story or something like that. I, I haven't watched it, actually, but I should. It was a really small part. And. I love, I love looking at the art, you know, that they use back then. I like looking at the ads that they use back then. Here you have the Philosopher's Stone, right? That that me and me and uh, Thomas covered on the very first episode of the series. Uh, and notice that it's not for sale. This one's not for sale, but he's you know asking for money for people uh, to subscribe. And maybe he didn't. Do you think maybe he didn't charge for this first one because it, it was the first one? Uh, actually, I I noticed in the very last issue of Volume One, so the sixth issue. At the end, he kind of has this appeal to the reader, and he mentions that everyone that got these first six issues, it was kind of on this trial basis because there were students or something of some kind, but then they go to a paid model after this. So it that's another cool thing of like seeing how this magazine itself evolved and adapted, and you know how frequent it was, how much he was charging for it, whether or not he was charging for it. 
And notice this, Atlantis, the lost continent. Nonsense as a factor in soul growth, right? And he's talking about a lot of occultic stuff, obviously, Manly P. Hall. And so I've always been one to wonder, like, hey, how was he able to find the time? Because me and Thomas are talking, we're like, dude, we're not ever going to finish all these books that we've been bookmarking and putting away and buying and talking about. Like, we're not going to have enough time. Not without speed reading. <laughs> not without speed reading. Because it's just so much material. So how was this man able to sit down and really truly understand? Because back then they didn't have the internet. He just literally had to go to these libraries. And as he was growing up, he collected a lot of occult books and esoteric things. And he was, you know, going around and learning the mysteries of mysteries. And what did you find on that, Thomas? Because that was, you kind of blew the cover at the beginning, but could you get into <laughs> a, little a little bit into bit. that? Because we've kind of found it out. I think we figure out the secrets of the secret, these secret mystery schools. And it's, it's Thomas is about to tell you. <laughs> I mean, it's not a super secret because it comes from his biography. Um, and it kind of mentions that. He, he grew up with his grandma and then around the age of 19 or something like that, his grandma died and he moved to the West Coast to live with his mom, um, his birth mom. And she was already sort of into Rosicrucianism or something. And um, but unrelated to that, he kind of walked into this this occult bookshop while he was in town and he just uh, took like an immediate fascination to everything in it. And for whatever reason, the owner kind of took Manly P. Hall under his wing and became a mentor and at some point invited Manly to talk, you know, give like a, a sort of like a sermon about all of this um, occult teachings. I think it was specifically it was on the topic of reincarnation. And there was a whopping total of like eight old ladies in the audience. But they absolutely <laughs> loved him. And uh, and one of the, the recurring kind of themes here is that Manly P. Hall in his younger years had this androgynous look to him. And it was it was so pronounced that there was actually some newspaper articles that as he was kind of coming up, they sort of noted this androgynous factor to him. But um, his his audience tended to be just absolutely filled with women. And at one point there was a fairly wealthy um, wife and daughter of like an oil fortune. <laughs> and they just, you know, fell in love with him, you know, head over heels. And there was all these rumors that there might have been so romantic element to it and <laughs> that. Manly might have been milking him a little bit. Um, but the the long story short was that they basically gave him a house. They gave him like 15 grand up front. They gave him all these resources. And then at some point in uh, his early 30s, I think, they basically left him a allowance of like $15,000 a year for like 38 years. And we looked it up, and I think the conversion rate was something around like $6 million. So Jesus. essentially in his in his early 20s, he kind of, you know, falls into this mother-daughter team that absolutely love him. He was playing pipe, $6 million bro. To, that's that's yeah. some, that's a little too much of a Fresh Prince of Bel Air vibe for me, though. <laughs> Are we sure this is real? Like, is there not some sort of like? Because you know, you got Bill Gates, you got all these other people who kind of have like this like really easy setup story. You know, like so maybe although he, he was working on Wall Street um, when he was living with his grandma, but she, um, you know, she died at some point unexpectedly. And he had to quit his job on Wall Street and kind of started completely over and ah, came up in this, okay. this so, circuit of being like a uh, like an occult order and would go and just give lectures on all sorts of occult topics. Um, and I think originally and his early childhood. Do you know? Uh, it was I guess it was a little bit sorted because he never met his dad and he just traveled around with his grandma mostly. Um, and after the grandma died, he moved in with his mom, who he didn't really know that well at that point. 
Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, your, your, your upbringing paints the, you know, the, the, the veil of like, it paints the vase of the, of the beautiful vase of the story of life. So, you know, when you have such an interesting story, like Manny P. Hall, you got to really like, you know, you got to look at the roots and be like, what was really going on here? Me raised by your grandma, not knowing your dad, like that right there starts off of being like, you, you can have an interest in. Well, consider, you know, not, not, not going your, your dad and growing up. Um, it almost made have like molded his mind, this life of research and just forever searching for, you know, this ultimate truth. And we're seeing a pattern here, right? Absent father, Manly P. Hall, absent father, H.P. Lovecraft, Ma uh, absent father, Jack Parsons. And they're arguably right. Manly H.P. Uh, Lovecraft said he wasn't in the occult, but it's just <laughs> find it so hard to believe that he wasn't you know what i mean he knew it was his work was loaded with the symbolism of the occult and esoteric shit that okay maybe he wasn't practicing it but dude knew about it i mean he was balls deep in this you know what i mean like you can't uh and we got some fire He's a high priestess yeah we have he some did that on you know <laughs> We have some fire uh, comments here. I like the his piercing reptilian eyes let him read at 100 pages per second. <laughs> Fresh Hermes of Bel Air. I love that. So he had some piercing eyes, man. And I'm, I'm he's sure handsome, he kind of leaned into it. Well, he leaned into I mean, it with some eyeliner creepy. and some makeup. But, you know, he knew what he was doing. I think he looks creepy, dude. Honestly. I think I think he was a handsome guy, and he they taught you know he had broad shoulders, you know, football like athletic body, you know, football player. He was very tall. He kind of checked a lot of boxes, you know. Yeah. So here's here's where it gets weird, Roman. Remember last night we were talking about Blue Lotus on the Atlantis episode? Absolutely. Yeah, and I was like, everybody needs to try this plant. It's sacred. It's old. You need to eat Blue Lotus. So you can smoke it too, can't you? Yeah, I think. Yeah, so. yeah. Put I think it in the, the Egyptians were, were uh, mm -hmm. Is that the psychedelic one? Is that the the one that's they, psychedelic? It's supposed to be. They used to sell it on the internet back in like the '90s. It was one of those ones that no one uh, knew about at the time. But I don't think it, it's super potent unless maybe you can get blue some lotus is not a lotus. Blue lotus is not a lotus. It's a lily pad, and it grows right. in the water. And uh, it's like you can make a tea and and have some pretty uh pretty good body high and you can have some slight hallucinogenics if you drink enough shit is potent you will have it's supposed to really help with meditation and lucid dreaming interesting so i mean and, and that's, that's a new series we need to get into everyone everyone <laughs> orders a drug off the internet and we just see what happens <laughs> that's great Let's well, i got i got some <laughs> mad honey which is honey from nepal in the himalayas where these these bees, uh, once a year, they go and they pollinate this flower with a neurotoxin. And when they come back and make the honey, some of that neurotoxin is in the honey. And I've got some. Actually, Ooh. I don't have any. I know somebody who has some. And <laughs> he got it off the internet. And he hasn't tried it yet. But it's pretty crazy that it's this honey <laughs> that can make you. So, it's called mad honey for a reason. So, check this out, Roman. This is, this is where I start flipping a lid. Because... Thomas here, he gets kind of mad when we're talking, having a conversation, and I'm throwing just names at him. I go, hey, dude, Google this guy. Boom. He starts Googling. And he's like, dude, you got these crazy wormholes and, and rabbit holes and stuff. And I go, okay, listen, bro, whatever, dude. You know, it's just I'm, I'm, I'm attracting these things. I'm interested in it, and I love diving down a good rabbit hole. And last night I found myself at the very deep end, at the very, very deepest end of a rabbit hole, 
all from reading some of these passages that I was reading in this in this book, <laughs> in these journals. Are, are, are you skipping over the, the color thing now? No, I'm going to do it now. So, okay. yeah, we're not getting there yet. Okay, we're going to be here a little bit. <laughs> okay, yeah. So we have the blue Krishna, and he's talking about, you know, always having blue skin, da-da-da. He's got a little story here because, and then when I was talking to Thomas, the reason for this is said to be that blue is the symbol of the Father, the highest of the three primary colors, okay? So Thomas, being the reptilian that he is, and being a part of all these secret societies that he's been uh, collecting initiations in for, for, for all, the, all these years, right, that he's been here and his past lifetimes. I think he's got like seven past lifetimes, I've heard. But check this out. He's like, oh, well, the actual primary colors were da-da-da, this and that. It was, what was it, red, green? Uh, no, so the, I like how you frame all this up, but I just need to reframe it a little bit really quick. <laughs> So this isn't this isn't secret teachings and arcane knowledge. This is uh, oh, a result bro. of it living, of, of growing up in the '80s in front of a television and then later a computer. So as I was reading this, he mentions that the three primary colors, um, being blue, yellow, and red, and I remember thinking immediately like, oh, well, that's a subtractive color. That's not additive color because an additive color, a lot of people are familiar with red, green, blue. You know, it's RGB, the pixels on a screen, the pixels on uh, a television. Even the old old school color televisions had red, green, blue cathode rays to simulate, you know, all the different colors on the spectrum. Um, and for some reason, this blue one's mine. But I got to I know because when I when I, you know, one of my first jobs when I was uh, working like minimum wage at like 14 or 15, I worked in a print shop. And I quickly understood the difference between what you saw on the screen, which was RGB additive color, versus what you see on paper when it's printed. And the main reason here is that in subtractive color, which is, um, I mean, in here we, we talk about blue, yellow, red, but really it's CMYK. It's, it's cayenne, yellow, magenta, and then K stands for black, but we can kind of ignore that for this. Um, whereas RGB is additive, and this is because the light is coming through it and those different colors are sort of filtering the light as it goes through. And if you add those different colors together, red, green, and blue, you get white. But with subtractive color, think about when you're back in kindergarten or, you know, doing finger paints or whatever, and you're painting on a canvas. If you take the three primary colors and you mix them together, you don't get white. You get like a dark shade of brown. Uh, and then you add a little black to that and it becomes completely black. So to me, that you know, he is clearly talking about these three primary colors, and I just mentioned it because um, I'm just so used to you know staring at a computer screen. <laughs> My three primary colors are red, green, blue, not necessarily uh, blue, yellow, red. But here's the thing, Roman. So I said this is a conspiracy because what if these other alternate colors are actually the colors that we should be seeing on our screens mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. they suppress it by doing this red, you know, red, blue, green color. That's what that's uh -huh. but, but this is we're talking about physics here. We're talking about the properties ah, fam. of, of but it's just like change it's just like changing the standard tuning of the hertz, yes. you know, like just yes. like making the standard I don't, I don't tuning agree with you if you guys. To suppress. So you see we're, you we're see how these guys in these secret societies do this Roman? Yes. We're being attacked right yes. now by yes, the Freemason in the group because we're we're not up to par with the lizard's ideology, okay? Cuz the cuz the Freemasons <laughs> oh. are are controlling how light reflects. He knows off of that they're watching mediums him versus translucent mediums. <laughs> 
He knows that they're watching him right now, so he doesn't want to slip <laughs> up and lose his yeah, ranking, yeah. You're, okay? You're keeping it tight, bud. You're keeping it tight. You know what? We appreciate it, but we're going to break you. A lot of bobbing and weaving, bro. Okay, a lot of bobbing and, bobbing and weaving, you know? Uh, uh, you know what I mean? Let's talk more do, bro. Okay, so listen. I think that's a conspiracy where they are trying to suppress us on purpose, okay? They're trying to suppress <laughs> us on purpose in order so we disconnect from that source, right? And obviously— How does it play on the pineal gland? Here's the, here's the, well, we don't know because even Manly P. Hall talks about the pineal gland from the Lumerian times where it was sort of like this antenna that was, again, talking about optics and eyes where back then, bro, they thought that vision was active and that you literally shot rays out into the world and saw it as it is. Uh, obviously, uh, Isaac Newton came later on with optics and, and said, no, it's like where the photons are reflecting back. They're going to the eye, being processed by the brain, et cetera, et cetera. That was way later on. But what I'm trying to get at is that they've been suppressing and we know it, dude. We know that they suppress us because the ancients knew about the microcosm. They under they said, if we understand the body at a micro level, we're able to understand the macro the universe on a bigger grander scale so by just by the most subtle things and we're reptilians right now by using these computers okay we're, we're doing we're doing some magic right now there's no way that this isn't magic where i'm able to see you guys i'm able to interact with people on the internet from all over the world and be here all at the same time this is magic we don't know how these things work but we still use them and amen to that man i, I mean I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that especially with you know computers and the internet where well do you know the original, literally you're talking about manifesting intent and dude, creating actual products out of that do you know the original intention behind the computer by charles babbage why don't you tell us he was the guy the 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 father of modern day computing the, fa the father of the computer he was trying to, to prove the existence of God through technology. And he tried to summon the devil one time, at one, just like Jack Parsons did. Again, the father of modern-day rocketry, he tried to Faust. summon the devil. Bro, all these guys. Dr. Faust. Who's that? Oh, that's the, Ger the German one? Who's that? Yeah, classic Germanic Faust. He's like the, he's like the you know, the Ma kind making of the, the deal Dick with the devil. Moral. That's the classic story oh, of whoa, whoa, whoa. making a deal with the devil. So not to be confused with Fauci, though. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the same guy, bro. He's Saint Germain. He's fucking traveling through dimensions and time. So, you know, I've always said this that they put things from the very beginning, and we're using things that we don't even have a clue about their origins. The guy who invented binary code, uh, Gottfried uh, Leibniz, he who was again trying to prove the existence of a godhead through technology. He's the one that invented the binary code that computers read. You know, ones and zeros. He was also talking about the law of manifestation. And law uh, of if you want to get deep too, that there's um, William Crook, who I think was one of the original inventors of the cathode ray uh, period, which brought us TV. And he was a heavy spiritualist. And a lot of them believe that uh, these rays and these images were, were more than just technology, that they were actually summoning some like extra spiritual realm. So, oh, what? Were you William, William Crooks? Were you the one that told me one time, Thomas, about the the oldest tower on top of a mountain somewhere in Russia or something? No, I don't think so. Oh man, I want to find out who told me that one time. But they were like, if we take that tower out, the original broadcasting tower, I think we'll break free of this matrix. So was it like an obelisk? No, it. Well, I mean, if you look at a radio tower, it looks like a fucking obelisk. I mean, if you really look at it, there's 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 with that like. You know, one of these things that people have to remember, 
one of the major problems that we're always going to face with Russia is that they're so highly evolved technically. Like they have just a different way of prospering in their science than we do, right? Like their scientific methods are just different. And we've always been kind of like at uh, feud with them. And uh, a lot of people tend to forget that it's it's not just politically, right? And, and yeah, and the space wars also, but like, the technology that the Russians have had access to, like, you know, they, they're home to some of the smartest scientists that we've ever had. Belkovsky, Tesla, you know, and uh, I just had to say that just for, just to touch up on what you said, Juan, because that's, that's always on the tip of my mind. Like, I think I was a Russian in a past life. I really do. I have some like <laughs> weird passion towards Russians. I'm like, fuck it, Russia. Great in the world war. Oh, yeah, dude. Sick, Russia. This is bro, know, weird, but uh, bro, this guy is no. talking about being a, like a communist <laughs> sympathizer. Like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, you know what I mean, like, what? Bro, bro, what are you talking no, about, be, man? You've. <sighs> No, no. Do you, do you do you listen to Dugan at all? Do you know Dugan? No, bro. But you were talking Dugan's about him. him. Yeah, it's crazy. You were, uh, you were talking about him. crazy. Yeah, you guys should look it up. It's it's Putin's right hand man. He's a philosopher that uh, is going back to Baconian's uh, New Atlantis or ba- Francis Bacon. Sorry, uh, Francis Bacon's New Atlantis, where basically you know he was trying to depict, which he didn't finish. It's an unfinished piece of work. Um, that there will be a Western country, there will be a Western power that rises up, um, and the fall of it will be just as it was Atlantis, you know, uh, too high of technical power, too much ego, too much greed, and uh, and that's why uh, uh, you'll see it if you type in, like, Dugan Atlantis, like, he's right now, like, within the last month, bringing up this old Atlantean paradigm, which is really interesting because... Atlantis is coming up uh, in a lot of places right now. And like, you know, we're going into this, you know, Aquarian age or what what have you. But if you look around, like there's a lot of podcasts doing shit about it. Um, you have the entire world stage with with Putin and Dugan and they're calling America Atlantis. Like that's what they're calling us. They're calling us the Atlantean power. And if you look at Francis Bacon's work of New Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Um, the utopia. Yeah. They're ba- Exactly. So, like, they're saying they are the original motherland and that we are to be taken out. And that's that's basically right. Putin's right hand man. That's that's saying that no, no cost will, you know, it'll be at no cost to take out the Atlanteans. So as it should be, I'm on par with Manly P. Hall's uh, interpretation of Atlantis. He says that it was a higher state of being, higher state of consciousness. And he he even says the ascended masters were different elevated states of consciousness how helena bovatsky was talking about these ascended masters that it wasn't actually a physical place because remember we talk about the bible a lot and we talk about all these stories that are in there but they they are meant to be allegories you know what i mean like parables like these stories yeah these, and manly p hall was on record saying that atlantis was a time not a place a time well yeah a timeline not a place a time, not also a place. said black magic came from atlantis he said that in one of his lectures too. well that's where the book of enoch he, comes he also in said that egyptian priests could uh breathe underwater and turn themselves <laughs> invisible and they could walk on air so he he had a a, a variety of different um beliefs depending on what the audience was well could you sure. imagine thomas reading all these books that you're reading, collecting all these valuable manuscripts that, you know, one of ones, you know, these pieces of, of great art and, and these, right. What was, did you mention about the books that he thought books were like seeing into everything and, and yeah. So actually I got a couple specific quotes that I, I had on this. 
So let me just let me just I don't have to pull them up, but I wanted to to mention because this goes also into the mentality of someone that just digests information nonstop. And he he says, quote, and this is from the first edition. There are no truer friends than volumes whose treasured contents become etched into our souls. The average individual's idea of a friend is someone who will agree with them. And a book is the most obliging of all. If you feel lazy, the book will be uninteresting. If you feel mean, meanness gleams from every page. And if sarcasm holds you in its grasp, every word of the author seems like satire. And if you feel hungry for a certain line of information, the book is eager to give it to you. Um, and then he says later on that there's no more wonderful place in all the world than a bookstore such as we find in old countries with rows and rows of musty volumes where stepladders lead up to shades unknown and ancient tomes, some of which have slept upon their shelves since the days of Cromwell. He talks about books like they're these living things, these like repositories of information and yep. how he, you know, they're his best friends and that they're the perfect friend. And um, so, I mean, just just reading through this, it becomes abundantly clear that Manly P. Hall was like the biggest book nerd you probably ever would have met in your entire life. And this is even before he was, you know, uh, well into his 20s. So I, I think that kind of mentality, I mean, I, I wasn't a big book nerd when I was 22 or 23, you know what I mean? I was probably you playing know how to read a whole lot of Grand Theft Auto and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't that far, you know, into even caring about books. And that was this dude's entire life at that point. Yeah, I mean, you can only imagine. And dude, we got a we got a comment here. Don't shit on breathing underwater. We have no idea what our abilities are when we aren't being poisoned and attacked by. Amen to that. Because I it's a, it's that. a fair point. No, I, I, absolutely. Because again, that's what. Yeah, we we've gone through lots of transitions as a, yeah. as a species and a planet. So who knows? So I wanted to read this real quick. This stood out to me. Would man gain anything by living forever in one body? And we have here, as soon as the average student realizes that there are certain powers which transcend material things or apparently do so and discovers that there are those who remain for infinite periods in one body, the student immediately desires to do the same thing because after all, living and dying appear as very inconvenient faces in the, phases in the evolution of man. Perpetual life seems to be a novelty which has attracted a number of people who should have much better who have much better sense and the fountain of eternal youth is sought for as earnestly as earnestly now as in the days of Ponce de Leon uh, but let the student always remember that, that these great things are effects and that the only cause which can bring them about is mastery and adeptship so you know, you have these beautiful words, too, that he's talking about in a lot of these things. And I know you pulled up a couple, I think, uh, that you were sending me, Thomas, of these things that are being said in here. And, you know, there's a reason. I, I wish that the Philosophical Research Society still published these because I would so fucking be subscribed to a service like this to receive journals. of. We this. should probably make one. Bro, but you know, that's so much harder. What do we have to offer it, as far as knowledge, right? Because, you know, one of the things that I'm, Michael... I got, I got plenty. One I of the will, things, <laughs> here's, no, but seriously, here's one of the things that Michael Hoffman talks about, where as conspiracy theorists, right, we're regurgitating information that we're taking in and learning and just saying over and over again, but what the fuck are we doing with this information? Are we actually putting it to use? Are we actually doing anything with the information that we're learning? We preach about a lot of things about like, you know, uh, down with the lizard. But here we are in front of a fucking computer screen right now talking to each other for however long. Well, hold, hold on now. I've, I've been putting this shit into comic books for the last 10 years. So I feel like I get a pass. Well, well yeah, but here's. Okay. Fact, 
that, see these Freemasons again at it again with this <laughs> stuff, you know, talking about uh, what, you know, they're trying to throw a wrench in everything, you know, and I, I kind of don't like doing podcasts with Thomas, but I know he's got pull in this lizard world. Well, so, <laughs> well, hold on. Up. I've actually got some of the shots fired uh, pulled up. here. Yeah, from, go ahead. Uh, you want to share your screen? Yeah. So he says some things about a certain amount of people. And I think Thomas cried today because his daddy was attacking <laughs> him personally. And so it's, <laughs> it's this bit right here. And uh, and I and I think as soon as I read this, a lot of the anti Manly P. Hall sentiment I've I've come across from other Freemasons was abundantly clear after I read this. So it's it starts right here and it says the average Mason is thoughtless. He's not a criminal. <laughs> Nor is he false intentionally to the concepts which he holds, but he is preoccupied and he feels no responsibility, no individual obligation in connection with the study of masonry. And then it, and it gets even <laughs> deeper here. He says, when it comes right down to the truth, the average 32nd degree Mason knows little or nothing of even the first principles of masonry because he has not assumed the responsibility or the individual duties which makes him one with the spirit of masonry. When these wondrous rituals are unfolded before him, he's thoughtless. When the lectures are delivered to him, he's thoughtless. As he dons the apron, as he transacts the business of his lodge, he is thoughtless. And I did feel a little bit personally attacked when I read this because I remember when I became raised as a 32nd degree Mason and I fell asleep like three or four times during the, uh, the initiation <laughs> ritual. I just couldn't stay awake, bro, because it started at like 6 a.m. And it was like a, it was almost like an all day thing. And, you know, the nerves got the best view. I'm wearing like like a nice suit and shit. And I was just completely stressed. And I just remember falling asleep and just like waking <laughs> up and like how much time just elapsed. You know what I mean? Was there like a test? Is is there gonna be like this going to be on the written quiz at the end? So uh, <sighs> as I'm reading this and Manly, P, um, Manly Bummer Hall is almost like slapping my wrist and telling me like bro you fell asleep like you're just a thoughtless you know idiot so yeah i, I felt a little bit personally attacked just because yeah i mean i 100 agree with this the average mason thoughtless 32nd degree mason knows little or nothing even of the first three degrees um yeah that that doesn't surprise me at all and then he goes on to to talk about how can a god of clay fill a shrine of gold Ooh, um no. so so there's like some nice little like, like a motherfucker. Yeah, dude, he, he had some like hot shots in there that he was throwing out. And and the the name of this one is Masonry Appeal for Better Masons. And this is an ongoing um not not like a series, but if you read through the rest of these magazines, very often he'll kind of have these articles that are like, you know, here's how masons are are fucking up and they could be doing a lot better. And there's <laughs> there's, you know, more than just a few of them. So Yo. Also you know, you have Thomas getting high and just being at his his rights there. He's just like stoned as fuck while they're presenting him this little his little skirt, and he's just stoned. And here you have Manly P. Hall talking, spitting the truth. You know, calling these people out like, "Hey, did you just join this because you wanted to be cool? Did you know? Like I said, a lot we learn about these things, but do we truly know what to do with this knowledge? Do we truly know?" how to to you know achieve these higher states of not saying that there's no way of doing that there's 100 percent ways of doing that but more times than not we're caught in this system in the matrix if you will and we're like neo trying to escape you know trying to bob and weave uh what were you going to say roman you were going to add something of of value or you just oh uh 
Yeah, no, I well, when I'm reading through uh, uh, the the massive amount of beautiful, uh, intuitive inscription, and this man is brought forth to the literary world, um, you know, a common theme um, uh, that he was he was putting down, I thought was pretty cool. He was kind of painting societies, you know, rise and fall, like the ebb and flow of life, right? Like he's just saying, look at all of these evidence that we have of all these different empires coming to fruition and then dissolving away. And it's similar to that of the story of the Phoenix. Um, you know, all these societies, they rise. And then from that, the ashes of their own demise, they, they crumble and then create again. Yet something different, similar as the last remnants, but constantly changing. And uh, it's, it, I just thought it was really beautiful. Everything he writes is super poetic. But I did, I did want to ask you guys... Uh, you know, because I, I just got done doing a, a birth chart reading. And I don't know how, how into astrology you guys are, but, you know, a lot of a lot of occultism ties to astrology, like we had said. Yep. Right. Like we're, we're talking about a huge, huge old order of systems. And um, Kaylee, who might be still she might be watching. She said she was going to pop over. Um, she she does all uh, areas of it. So she has very vast understanding of, you know, the Vedic and the tropical and the Western and and all these things. I'm, and and it st shows me when she did a two-hour birth chart reading. Basically, it started to to see all these aspects of myself that were kind of pre-planned from, you know, whatever that type of, uh, um, you know, whatever that type of planning is from that celestial understanding. And Manly P. Hall talks a lot about reincarnation mm -hmm. as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so, if that's so, if you know, he is an older spirit, older soul that that basically chose his life beforehand because he's gone through all these cycles of work to come here. Then his name being uh, Manly P. Hall, HPM. Mm -hmm. And what we know about occult writers and everything, HP stands for high priestess. Yes. I'm wondering, do you guys think there's like, is that just crazy? So, or do you think that like that HP actually goes in there somewhere? You know, I can't talk to the stuff to Thomas about it. Mind <laughs> you, he's in these occult circles and, and they don't let him talk about it. But whenever I bring stuff up about magic and, and all these woo-woo topics, uh, Thomas doesn't, he's not, he's not on that bus, bro. He doesn't support any of it. He is just totally against it. But I, 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 I came had, out of the womb like a computer programmer. So I just got to <laughs> say like to me. At a very deep level, everything is like a one or a zero or a math problem that has an exact answer, and every yes. other answer is an incorrect one. And it's taken me, you know, almost, I'm 38, it's taken me 38 years to kind of become more and more open to sort of, you know, it's not binary. There's like an infinite number of possibilities. Well, that, but, but, but when we start talking about gematria and shit, you definitely <laughs> lose me. So, Thomas, <laughs> being a programmer, right, that you're programming, it, you're, the, the, the thing with you, your ideology is it either works or it doesn't. Okay, so yeah, you're used to so, seeing yeah. results, which I can respect that. Just how Jack Parsons was into the occult. Mind you, this was a guy who was blowing up rockets. So in his occult life, he wanted to one up that. He wanted to see results. He wanted to see things manifest. None of this woo woo bullshit of oh you put your you know you put your energy out and you do all this weird shit and da da da. You shake it all about. You yeah, yeah. You know, you do the <laughs> macarena naked in the desert. You jerk off, turn to the east. You know, look up. You know, a lizard in the eye, and then you're supposed to manifest. Fucking who the fuck? It's like know? something you'd read. <laughs> in the back of like a Nintendo Power magazine, right? Yes. So I can respect where you come from with that, right? But I do think, right, this HP thing, this high priestess, uh, mind you, Jack Parsons' father was also an HP, Marvel H. Parsons, well, okay? But it's, tell me, where 
where does the HP come from? Is it just because you're reversing the Palmer Hall well, to make it yeah. Manly Hall Palmer? But why are you doing that? It seems like you're only doing it to make it fit the HP. Yes. Well, there. I mean, but you got to think though. The tarot, right? Is up. It, you have both sides of the coin. Like hermetically speaking, you do have. Uh, mm. You have it one way. You have it the other because it might be the reverse meaning. Sometimes high priestess. You know. I mean. I don't know. It is speculative, you know, and that's why I was bringing it up. I'm, I'm not saying it is. I was just yeah. curious about it because I see anagrams because I've been looking for more anagrams lately. <laughs> so I'm we could like, use your help on, on some things uh, here, unrelated. Here's the thing, though. Here, here's <laughs> the yeah. thing, Roman. So I've I brought up for the longest time, right, when I was watching Manly P. Hall's lectures and, and videos and, and just reading through his work, when especially his lectures. I, I always told Thomas, I said, hey, bro. This dude's channeling some shit. This dude is channeling mm -hmm. this information. But then Thomas being who he is, he's like, no, dude. Uh, mind you, Thomas has a certificate in neurolinguistic programming. By the way, okay? <laughs> By the way, I'm not making this shit up. This guy, From Richard Bandler himself, if we're going to put it out there. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm I sorry to blow Richard your cover, Bandler. Thomas. I'm sorry to blow your cover, but I have to let the people know who they're dealing with right now and who they're listening to because it's not just an ordinary man, okay? He, you know, it doesn't he, matter because everyone's going to forget everything they heard <laughs> after this is over. His beard talks to him, bro. There, I said it. Okay. So can you talk a little bit about when you, when I brought that idea up to you one time on the podcast about how Manly was, uh, you know, channeling this information? Because if you notice the tone of his voice within these lectures, I feel like it changes sometimes when he's talking about the, the, the black magic aspect or the demons and stuff. I feel like he was like a so, lower. So this tone. is part, this is part of the trivium. This is like an old school tactic. And this is Do exactly it. the kind of thing Manly Palmer Hall would know all about. This is from the seven liberal arts. Uh, the first th three being the trivium, the last four being the quadrivium, but the trivium is um, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And rhetoric is exactly what we're talking about here. This is being able to appeal to an audience. But when you say like going into this channeling and changing the speaking pattern and the cadence and the vibrato of the voice, these are techniques that, you know, ancient classical orators would just study for, you know, their lifetime. And he knew what those techniques were and he tapped into them and it worked really well. And I think some of the other examples I brought up to you when we mentioned this before is that Manly Palmer Hall probably learned this because he came under the wing of this mentor and mm. he went to these speeches and he saw and a lot of these were happening in churches. Um, but like this, it's the same sort of thing as like a, a, a loud preacher might know. And one of my examples is like Jim Jones, but Jim Jones, <laughs> uh, he didn't have a mentor. He just kind of grew up as a natural, you know, having like this rhetorical power over people. And I think when he was a little kid, you know, he would congregate other little kids in like the playground and like throw speeches at them and they would like sit down and be blown away. So this power of rhetoric is something that really powerful speakers can just kind of step into and step out of as they need yeah. it. So to yeah. me, it's it's just him having this very particular skill that's very well honed. Um, and it was it fit directly in line to the types of material that he was already interested in. So yeah. There's no yeah. way he wouldn't know about rhetoric as an actual skill to learn and develop. Can you talk about the memory palace, Thomas? Because that's also very fascinating because well, he's able well, to we got to do a whole show on on memory techniques from uh, Francis Yates and um, all sorts of, of different people throughout history. Can you give so what, what do you want to know about memory palace? The, though, in like the a lowdown, short term? how Manly P. Hall is able to remember these crate without stuttering, without you know, getting well, I, actually I would be fascinated to know what his actual memory techniques, but the most classical ones 
the memory palace again it's like thinking of a childhood home or thinking of a house you've lived in for 10 to 20 years and you just mentally walk through these locations um or, or you know if, if you just had like a route to school that you worked um, or that you walked every single day you would remember every house that you passed by so in order to remember a long speech each house you walk by that remember that would be like a different topic or a different category and if you wanted to really make it in bed, let's say you walked by five houses on your way to school to make it simple, um, each of those houses could be a different paragraph. And the contents of those paragraphs, as you walk by the house, imagine them like kicking down the front door and running out and like a attacking you. Um, so this is a very memorable way of, of kind of remembering this. And you can remember it in order. You can remember the exact things. You can remember the details, the things you want to emphasize. Um, so just, you know, um, extrapolate that times a hundred and you can kind of memorize an entire book. And I think that's typically what a lot of these guys do. Yo, shout out to Thailand. Shout out to all the lady boys out there. How you doing? Look, we got a guy in from Thailand in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect, no disrespect, but yeah, hey, you know, actually, Oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yep. Yep. No, it's fascinating because I've always like, you know, when, when I first met Thomas, which I think that he is a, I think he's been sent here to infiltrate the Juan Juan podcast community. And, and I think that the, the, he's my handler in, in some sort of way where he's watching and he's just planning these different ideas in my head, whatever. That's besides <laughs> the point, but check this out. When he told me that I was like, what the fuck? Cause imagine bro, the library of Alexandria, right? Alexandria, when they were doing the OG podcastings, they had these rooms where these, the greatest minds of all time would go there. They knew about this. They knew about these techniques in order to remember things and recite things from the very beginning just to the very end. And you have a two and a half hour, two hour lecture with Manly P. Hall, and he's not even stuttering or stumbling upon anything. And dude, there's been times where I'm listening to him and in the recording, there's like a fucking ambulance or fire truck in the background just blaring, just bah, bah, and homeboy just keeps going doesn't stop, doesn't do anything. So I'm like, this dude is either channeling this shit or he's in a higher state of consciousness to where he's able to tap into this memory palace and just remember. Yeah, he's, he's walking through like a mansion in his what? head. He's not hearing all this shit. <laughs> Bro, and, and just a really quick tangent. There's a, a new cartoon that came out recently called Dick Town. And I think it's about like these private investigators. It's like an adult swim kind of cartoon or something. Um, but one of the characters is constantly like tapping into his memory palace, but they make it seem like like such a nerdy thing to do. <laughs> Yo, Th Thomas is in Central Florida too, right? So yes, right? Yeah, I'm on, I'm in Orlando. Uh, all the lizards are from Central Florida. Shout out to everybody who's listening. Who's <laughs> from Central Florida, right? We got the Florida man. We got the skunk gate. We got all the good shit, right? We got all the Freemasons. We got Thomas. So we check this out. Wow, you guys are loaded up. Some yeah. loaded nachos, Yumbly. So. Here's where it got hairy. We're going to be jumping around here a little bit because I felt this was necessary, right? I'm, I'm, I find myself diving into heavier and heavier topics. And on April 7th, tune in to the Innerverse podcast where we're going to be doing a deep dive on the Jack Parsons and his correlations to a lot of different things. Now, check this out. When I was reading this, I was like, you know, I want to find something that's that's interesting, right? And, and as I dive down, I've, I'm not feeling like I'm, I know everything by no means, but I want to learn the more interesting shit, right? Alchemy, dive deeper down into alchemy and all this shit. So I came across, let me pull my screen up here. I came across this, right? We have here Count Caliostro, because me and Thomas practiced how to say it before we came on just to make sure we didn't sound That's like right. fucking idiots. Because every time we, we said the name, we said it a different way. <laughs> so, 
Count Caliostro, right? We have this guy right, here. The, the G is silent. The G is silent. Caliostro. Caliostro, all right? So That's right. I, I'm reading through this thing, and one of the things that popped up that, that obviously resonated with me because I was doing research into... Oh, man, this is not the right one. I have to look for it, Thomas. Uh, I have it pulled up on my... Anyways, anyways, let me let me pull it up. Can you take over real quick, Thomas, while I, uh, I look for it on on here real quick? Jeez, so unprofessional. Yeah, actually, because I, I wanted to mention there's a, a really cool section. I, I think it was in issue five where Manly Palmer Hall has these <laughs> these Q&A sections. And, you know, you've read like any editorial where they've got like people that like write in and have a question and, you know, they get like some uh, relationship oh, yeah. advice. Um, so Manly Palmer Hall does this on um, on his fifth issue. Let me see if I can share my screen really quick while you're looking that up. Yeah, I got it pulled up, so we'll, we'll dive into that. As I'll do. As I'm gonna do this really quick. Yeah, because I really love this one. So I mean, these are like the the questions that blow people's minds for lifetimes, and they never answer them. But Manly Palmer Hall here gives these like such concise, matter of fact answers. So for example. <laughs> is a man a free agent or under the control of Oof. outside entities, right? This is like the ultimate question of like, does free will exist? Um, which you, you can philosophically debate forever, but he just comes out and he says, nothing but God is a free agent and even he must comply with the laws of creation. That part is still blowing my mind. I'm not sure exactly what he's means here. Like what, what laws of creation does God have to abide by? But anyways, he goes on and says, so-called free will is the power of choice and the greater the range of possibilities the greater power of choice the one who can choose between three things is freer than the one who must choose between two and again going back to my binary thinking this is the kind of thing that like i need to hear sometimes society today bro um, two-party system two things yeah exactly exactly and and he goes on even more and says only in perfect knowledge comes the greatest expression of the power of choice Man's evolution is being assisted by outside intelligences, but he must himself make all the important decisions of his life. So you were saying before, you know, was he ch tapping into something? Was he channel something? To me, the way that he phrases this in classic Manly Palmer Hall, like now I believe in, you know, like uh, outside intelligence and, you know, at different entities maybe, but the way that he describes it is how I believe it. I don't believe in it necessarily as like channeling some specific creature by like a certain name but that there is this concept of intelligence that lives outside of us that we can tap into um and i and again uh, i just love and there's a few of these i'm not going to read all of them but um the fact that he's got this q a and it's like hey does free will exist and he's like no it's just this option of choices and here let me break it down for you like <laughs> i don't know like the i don't know if, if he's just being like crazy um you know like uh confident in his answers because again this is like a 23 year old telling you about whether or not free will exists wow so anyways, and, and, I... <laughs> and thomas to add on to that as well remember that he not only it wasn't all about esoteric shit like it was about sometimes about how to live a a, a, a purposeful life you know how to interpret your bible he, he did a lot of lectures on how to master your life and be happy what is happiness it was about that that, that mind body spirit yes. balance between all three yeah yes yeah, very he's very spiritual it's it's, it's all spiritual right like everything he touches on is is spiritual and we are spiritual creatures at our core all we're trying to do in life is to find out what is the right spiritual path we're trying to take so no matter speaking what. Of, of proper and right spiritual paths, uh, Juan, I think you've got some 
some very spiritually <laughs> cleansing, purifying information to bestow on all of us. No, I think I think okay. it'd be the opposite of that, bro. But I wanted to ask you real uh, quick, Thomas, what are your thoughts wow. on the Akashic Records as far as like, what do you think about that? Because you're talking about this I, I definitely state. believe in that. I, I believe in Akashic Records and that this is where the actual platonic ideals are stored. Like you mm. can go and check it out. You know, you open the room and there's all the platonic ideals. Like this information is out there. And, and I think Manly Palmer Hall mentions this over and over that um, knowledge is kind of like energy where it can't be created or destroyed. It just yeah. always existed. And it's just a matter of like tapping back into it, which also right. plays into his kind of philosophy on reincarnation. You know, it's like knowledge itself is being reincarnated over and over. It strives the importance of the pineal gland and why these people like stress the importance of living such a clean life so you can be as clean of a receptor <laughs> as you can be so you can tap into those at moments like, you know. <laughs> Yo, shout out to, <laughs> to Brian. Shots yeah, shots fired. Another Central Florida guy right here. He's he's in Orlando too. Shout out to you, bro. He's talking about why would you wear those glasses, Juan, after you were caught with a with the script. I had somebody in one of my videos call me out saying I was uh, a secret agent and I was reading a, a teleprompter during a talk <laughs> about QAnon and Assange and all this stuff. So he's telling me not to. I tore the glasses because <laughs> that would be pretty dope if you had like a full blown like actual teleprompter in your room to, yeah. to read everything off of. That'd, that'd be so stupid though. I mean, I got there's a bunch not, of screens. There's nothing wrong with that though, man. Pre I, I've been telling Dan, my podcast partner, I'm like, bro, like I really like it when we write shit for the show. Like I want to write things and read from that because thus you can like have like a you know when we're just freely speaking like it's very emotional it's straight intuitive you know shot you know that's enough but when you pre-write something you're tapping into something else and then you can go reread that myself as a fellow thespian boys let me tell you what you give me a script baby i'm gonna read that shit and you gonna listen and you gonna like it <laughs> is this so, the jesse ventura script <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is man so Here's where it got a bit hairy for me, and we're jumping around. This is issue. This is a different. That is a sick photo right there. Yeah, you got Alice in Wonderland going through the painting or mirror here, and she sees here the, the 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 witch or whoever, the queen, and you got the rabbit. So you have a department dedicated to Alice in Wonderland. Now, everybody knows, you know, follow the white rabbit. We got Neo in the Matrix. Follow the white rabbit. You know, you have Alice in Wonderland. You have all this stuff. And I Donnie Darko. I find, yeah, I find, I, I find myself at times chasing that white rabbit and into the corners of history where I, I would rather not be sometimes. And uh, on April 7th, we're going to be doing something related to this topic, but I want to just dip our toes in a little bit here and, and, and talk about it. You're right. Talk about alchemy and the, the, the elusive story of the homunculi where <laughs> you have John Jack Parsons, uh, supposedly the reason that he died was because he was trying to summon a homunculi. Now, uh, we have this story of the homunculi, and I, and I found it very weird, the synchronistic form, that the way I, I fall upon some ideas while I'm doing research on one topic, I'll have other ideas come up at the same time that relate, and I just follow these 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 rab these white rabbits down these rabbit holes hence the, the 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 title now the rabbit hole master which i was <laughs> you know given to by our fellow freemason thomas and so the homunculi right we have according to the teachings of the periclesian 
physicians and certain other alchemists. A homunculus, a homunculus Peric- is in Perichelgian. Perichelgian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> Alchemist. A homunculus is an artificial human being generated by chemistry. Okay, the idea of creating living creatures is not a, is not new, for it is to be found in the magical speculations of many ancient nations. So the homunculus is usually represented as a small creature about nine inches in height and sometimes semi-transparent, resembling tinted glass. Now, I was like, all right, I'm going to read this because I think it's fucking fascinating. Mind you, what we're going to be getting into is a little bit grotesque. This wouldn't be the occult book club if we didn't get into occult literature now. This is your disclaimer, okay? This is where... This is your trigger warning. This is your trigger warning to either turn the fucking stream off or stay with it because it's about to get heavy, okay? It's about to get real. And this is what the show's about, about finding occult and esoteric pieces of work. So I felt it was necessary, okay? So, here I go. We have this name here. John Fernandan, Count of Kuefstein. Kuefstein, whatever the fuck his name is, okay? And he was, uh, uh, the court John Fernandan was not only a celebrated, uh, and how do you say this word again, Thomas? Thaumaturgist? I'm sorry. He was an occultist, student of the secret mysteries, and master of cursed sciences. Cursed sciences, okay? Dun, 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 dun. That, that would be the coolest uh, sort of tagline or like a little uh, title on your business card. Master <laughs> of, of Cursed Sciences. So here we are. This is a story about some people that were parading around these little homunculi that they, that they came around and how they were being mistreated. Some of them died in the process of them being shown off, et cetera, et cetera. You can read into it, okay? Now, I Googled this name right here, the John Fernandan. And nothing came up. And I had the Frankenstein story come up, coincidentally, which we know Frankenstein is this chimera of a person that came together, you know, by sewing different people together. And it came to form this monster, right? This horrific monster. And I got to inject the tangent it's an occult here that, story, dude. Th- that there's, a, there's another story that um, the story of Frankenstein is actually about the founding of the Bavarian Illuminati because Mary Shelley knew yeah. somebody yep. that was privy to its founding. So just add that one for another episode. What, bro? What are you talking yeah, about, man? Drop that what one down, fuck? dude. The Shelleys, the Shelleys were some fucking weirdos, that, that dude. Shelleys Frankenstein the creature of Frankenstein itself was a metaphor for the Bavarian Illuminati. Whoa, what, bro? Come we'll, on. we'll get onto that one in a Don't in a do this one. to me, Thomas. Don't <laughs> do this to me. So, okay, let's get into it. Let's get it into it. Let's get into it. Right, here's the fuck. I'm pretty sure people are like, what the fuck are you going to talk about? What's the fucked up shit? All right. So I, I, I Googled this guy, and I had the story of Frankenstein come up. And mind you, I've been researching about <laughs> Frank and Juan. I've been researching the homunculi <laughs> and... You have the story of, should I, should I, I'm going to, oh man, Michael Hoffman. What talk, volume is this? This is volume. This is from the, the horizon. Uh, so September, I think it's, uh, or uh, volume nine, number three, winter, 1949. So this is later on. This is just a preview. Oh, nice. Jumping nice. around. This is a preview of all the other stuff yes. that comes up in this series yeah, that we'll be touching on. We're just going to be the tip here. Okay. This is just a tip. So we have, I looked it up, found Frankenstein, and I've been looking into the homunculi because, again, it relates to uh, the story of Jack Parsons, whatever. 
So I came across this and I Googled this and then I came across something very, very weird. Okay. And I didn't know what to think about it because I was, it's just that mind blowing to me. Okay. And for something to blow my mind, it takes a lot. We have the book, The Picatrix, which is a talismanic magic book, okay? And it's about the alignment of the planetary spheres and how you're able to charge certain talismans in order to invoke certain powers. So you have invisibility, you have how to, you know, make somebody fall in love with you. So pretty much either black magic, santeria, whatever you want to call it, refer to it, witchcraft, whatever, right? It's a, it's a form of magic. Now, you have in The Picatrix, it is more of this astrological you know other celestial planes whatever now me and roman have done an episode episode 80 if you haven't checked it out the one-on-one podcast about the transformer shout out to gabe slick dissident in the chat now he was the one that really i've always seen the the, i love the anime the full metal the full metal alchemist which is super super cult it has a bunch of things in there and there is you have chimeras in there and the taboo in there, which remember a lot of these secret societies, a very big thing in them is breaking taboos. The shock of, you know, of this idea when it's presented to the initiate, that shock is supposed to decondition them from their normal, usual lifestyle. So it's about breaking taboos, doing fucked up shit. Okay. This is conditioning through trauma, which is just a typical mind control practice. Yes. Like it's a formula. So we Google this guy. And here I am at three in the morning, laying down in bed on my tablet and connected to the matrix as the <laughs> reptilian that I am. And I come across something that really just fucked me up. And we have here this blog, which I, I looked at different ones and it really summarized what I'm about to talk about. And mind you, this is your disclaimer. Okay. Fucking prepare yourself because this is fucked up shit. All right. <laughs> fucked up you have uh i encourage people to check this this blog out the devil's davenport oh yeah davenport florida okay dot wordpress oh god (laughs) why is it always a florida man everywhere man (laughs) so i came across this book liber vacay or however you say it okay the book the book of the cows okay the book of cows however you want to say it now, and if you notice that that, that word vacay looks close to vaccine, that's oh, because vaccine Tom, literally translates to a tour or of cows. Tom, it's the first thing I saw. I was like, vaccine? Oh, and then I had to read I look at it. I didn't like, oh. say it. Thomas said it. Okay. In case we get pulled from the stream. Demonetize just my part of the stream, please. Whatever. All right, whatever. This is fuck <laughs> shit, guys. All right. I, I told you guys this is going to get fucked up. All right. So. This article exists behind a disclaimer. The magical book I'm about to write about is just weird. It's weird. It's disgusting. And there's a lot of bodily fluids involved. Enter at your own risk. So there you go, guys. If you don't want to hear about this shit, get the fuck off the stream because it's about to get heavy. Okay. And mind you, this is stuff from the medieval times. And this is a book that only uh, three fragments exist somewhere in France or some somewhere where it's the original copy of it. And it was translated. It was a... Uh, uh, well, was the original translation Ar- Aramaic? Was it uh, uh, Thomas? Refresh my memory. Anyway, I don't know. That always put Greek. me on the on the line for these questions. That's fine, bro. Whatever. We talked about this like for, for four hours. All we know is that that the rest of these are probably locked under the Vatican somewhere. Yes. Behind the, the okay. Secret key. 
So, I, again, I like the way this guy put it, all right? So, don't shoot the messenger, okay? This is, this is where my research has led me in this rabbit hole. So, here we go. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready? Centaur? Roman, are you ready? Yeah, let's go. All right, bro. Just oh, drop in. Do you want to save the world? We all know the bees are dying and pollinating plants is going to be a lot harder without them. If, you, if I asked you to help me save the bees, would you do it? Would you be prepared to engage in a lengthy act of ritual magic? All right, so check it out. We know about ritual magic. You have Alistair Crowley, Crowley, Cuckley, whichever you prefer. We have Jack Parsons. We have a bunch of different occultists all throughout history that were doing fucked up things. We have Gillis the Rays. We have Peter Nears, uh, just to name a few. And you have Cagliostro, which we can get into later, okay? Simon Magus. So glad to hear this is what we do first. Kill a lot of bees, then dry and powder them. Don't worry. It is the most normal thing you're going to do for the rest of the spell. Second, decapitate a female calf in a house with 14 shuttered windows on its eastern side. Sew up the mouth, nostrils, ears, eyes, rectum, and vulva. Okay. All right. it, I promise this is not the weirdest fucking part. But mind you, take this for a grain of salt because me and Thomas broke this down uh, symbolically, he's got, he's got a point. Okay. The Freemason has a point. So check it out. <laughs> then beat the corpse with the largest dog penis you can find every day for 50 days. All right. Third, sue the head back on the body and keep it in the house for another 50 days until it spontaneously starts to produce worms, which you will throw the bucket of dead powdered bees over. All right. So we got dog penis already As you do. right As off you the do. bat. Okay, right off the bat, it it wouldn't be a ritual uh, ritual magic if you didn't have dog penises. Okay, I just, I just hold on. I just want to <laughs> I just want to prompt a, a question out there. When it says the largest dog penis you can find, how? I mean, do, did someone how far just go? Wide do you search? Yeah, yeah. And and what are you looking for? Like, when do you know when you've you've hit the the biggest one that you're gonna find? Years. Now, years of, of, well, of look study. at this guy said, now we're cooking with gas. Now we're cooking with gas. Yes, we are. <laughs> we're cooking with gas. I know it's a bit hard to uh, follow. Just wait. We're, we're just getting Listen. warmed up. We've, we just hit it on low to medium and it's starting right. to simmer a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's starting to simmer. Uh, you're starting to get the water to boil a little bit. <laughs> Stick with us, ladies and gentlemen, and by non-binary folks, because it's about to get fucking wicked. Okay. And mind you, this is where I went from reading Manly P. Hall at two in the morning to it was four in the morning. And I was like, where the fuck am I? Where am I? This is weird. I'm Alice in Wonderland. Okay. So hear me out. Okay. Hear me. This is the occult book club, not your grandma's book club. So we're going to talk about some fucked up shit. And this is a book from the 17th or 18th century. I don't know where the fuck, what century it's from, but anyways, so throw the dead powdered bees over the, the, the body, whatever. Now, Fourth, seal the worms up for another 50 days and finally the whole lot will explode into a huge mass of spontaneously generated bees. You can beat them with the dog penis again if you'd like. So <laughs> after this whole thing is done, right, you're probably 100 days in, you're going to be swinging the dog dick everywhere, just hitting everything and, and killing the bees, whatever, okay? Welcome to the world of Library of a Cave. So this is the Book of the Cows. Now, it is the counterpart to the Picatrix, which is referenced in this book. If you haven't read the Picatrix, it's a very interesting read. I, might, I, I encourage listeners to go check it out if you want to have a good laugh, okay? It's very interesting. Now, this book is fucked, all right? And whoever wrote it is even more fucked. So apparently, they claimed it's a pseudo-Platonic book that was written, they claim was written by Plato himself, mind you. 
this reminds me of the Agrafa Dogmata, which Plato had these unwritten doctrines, mind you. Okay, He had these doctrines that he said were so out there that you would not be able to grasp mentally, that you're not, you're not even able to understand it. So when they bring Plato in, one of the, 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 the craziest fucking people in history, it, it, it piques your interest. But again, it was pseudo-Plato, pseudo-Platonic. Now, this isn't, this isn't all. In one spell, intended, uh, in one spell so it's a, it's a grimoire, it's a book full of spells, intended to create an ointment that allows you to see spirits. The magician must pulp the eyes of a whale and mix it with his own semen. He then force feeds it to a rooster for a while until it grows huge in size and its eyes start blazing with a holy fire. Now, <laughs> Thomas pointed out something very interesting. He said, this sounds a lot like a psychedelic trip. It sounds like this dude is just tripping on, ball, on, on mushrooms and, and just tripping his balls off, which I could get. And I've always said, right, you have, you know, people like Jack Parsons. I keep bringing Jack Parsons on because I just did a two and a half hour episode on him uh, that releases Monday. So check that out when it comes out Monday, 4 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, and he was one that in the Babylon working ritual, uh, wor uh, ritual, ceremony, whatever, he left out certain uh, certain steps in order to discourage people from doing it, right? Because it was a ritual that he had written. So when I'm reading this, I think about, hey, this fucking alchemist or whoever the fuck this guy was, was probably trolling people for one, okay? Because who's actually going to go out and do something like this? But here's the thing. People who... As, as this sounds like a troll to me. But no, but check it. It's a, it's a real book. Okay, Roman, it's a real book. All right, so... I don't doubt that it's real. So... No one would ever write a book with something that wasn't true in it. <laughs> If you're using your own semen and magic hasn't, if using your own semen and magic hasn't sent you running for the hills or put you out of the game, if you don't happen to be a man, then you could also create a homunculus by creating a mixture of semen, sunstone, green zinc, and a magnet, which you then stir in with the sap of white willow and use to impregnate a sheep. So we're gonna. <laughs> this leads you. This is the recipe. This is the recipe in order to create a homunculi. Okay, you will be creating a homunculus that will teach you the secrets of secrets the secrets to all the mysteries if you follow this step by step now you plug it hey, to the hold on. Be before you get too far scroll up just a little bit because i can't ever let a good dick joke go by go ahead. and that's the when this starts out it's talking about the pulp of a one-eyed whale and feeding it to a rooster or a cock and they're talking about semen here so to me it's impossible to mention a one-eyed whale and a cock and semen in the same sentence and that not to be some kind of like a, a hilariously intentional dick joke. Yeah, like the one-eyed snake and uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. So, yeah, yep. You know, we're asking. And the like hard Manly P. Hall said, like don't don't ever be above you know uh, having a little joke and and laughing at trivial things. So. And so remember, Absolutely. this is you know on this show we're going to be asking the hard questions. We're going to be looking. So you don't have to, ladies and gentlemen. So you don't have to fuck yourselves up and look this stuff up. We're doing it for you. Okay, this is what we're all about here at the Occult Book Club. We're about uh, discovering these pieces of work. Now, you, you do not have to eat your own semen. We're gonna we're gonna do that research for you. No, no, Thomas, we're not gonna do that research for them. Okay, don't fucking put me. Whoa, in your no, little... we can we can take care of that for no, you. No, no. Okay, listen. Don't worry. So. <laughs> You plug that, it. That's on the Patreon only feed, by the way. So fuck. go ahead and that's make on sure the you only sign fans, up. bro. Get that right. <laughs> so we have if you plug its vagina with the sunstone, smear it with blood of a cow, and lock it up in a house until 
either it gives birth or animal warfare agents arrest you. There's also a version of the spell where you feed an ape flesh that has been marinated in your blood, then manually, manually stimulate it. <sighs> okay. So you got to jerk the ape off after you feed it your flesh. Or, yeah, or I think they're insinuating what type of flesh yeah. uh, you're marinating. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Once the animal has given birth, yes, even the, if, even the male ape you've been jerking off will eventually Bam. pop a sprog. The offspring is kept in a huge glass or lead vase for three days and fed on blood of its mother. So when I was reading this, I go, were these people creating the original vampires? Were they creating these beings that needed to be fed blood, uh, to, you know, blood things and, and, and the original vampires? So after a week, one version of the spell requires you to smear it in a mixture of surprisingly not foul medicines, possibly while chowning it puts the lotion on its skin because you look at what you've done. The... Enter it, uh, uh, enter it back in the vase for 40 days, after which it'll emerge as a one-legged man. All right. Bing, bing, bing. So. One-legged man immediately stuck out to me as, that's a mushroom, bro. A anytime, this is my brain working. I'm not going to say this is the truth, but anytime I'm reading through occult books and something comes up about a one-legged man in the midst of a whole bunch of weird shit going on, one-legged man was a, a typical reference, uh, esoteric reference to magic mushrooms in a lot of different religious texts. Yeah, and, and for those listening, you're you're in for a fucking wild ride, aren't you? Nobody was expecting this when they jumped on this stream. They're like, "What the fuck?" You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're jerking off apes. We're fuck? beating cows with dog penises. We're taking mushrooms. You're in for a wild ride, ladies and gentlemen. So. So this one-legged man, right, uh, who presumably hates you, which is fine because you're going to do horrible, horrible things to it. God damn. The creature isn't as much use alive as dead, and some of the magical powers you get from its corpse require it to outright torture the poor beast, or rather to torture it some more. If you feed it milk and blood for a month, then cut its intestines out while alive, you can produce an ointment that will allow you to teleport anywhere in the world instantly. If you decapitate the poor thing, you can make a potion that will turn a man into a sheep if he drinks it or an ape if he anoints himself. If you make an ointment from its brain and eyes, you can see spirits. Okay, and mind you, this, this is... This is black magic on black magic on black magic on And, and let me just magic. throw out this really quick, too, that where do magic mushrooms typically come from? Um, they come from cow shit. Yes. And this so. is the book of the cow. But, dude, if you want to just grow mushrooms, why don't you just order some spores online and grow them <laughs> that way instead of doing all this fucked up shit? So that's the black magic part of it. <laughs> Y'all check this comment out. Look at, this, look at this. Can we get a one legged man on a podcast? Well, <laughs> you got a three legged man with you right now, bro. If you get the if you, get, if you catch my drift. Ah, OK, whatever. So <laughs> I could go on. Right. Uh, OK. What? Why? In actuality, most of the Library of AK is a fairly normal book for magic, uh, for a book of magic from its time. The book is divided into two sections, major and minor, with sections on fairly ordinary magical topics, sowing seeds with extraordinary qualities, making candles, lights, and oils with magical properties, and ointment to cure short-sightedness, magical inks, and la lanterns that show entertaining illusions. So you have a bunch. Ooh, look at this, uh, Thomas. Look at that comment. Does that uh -oh. does that trigger anything in you, oh, bro? Oh, I love that. I fucking love that. <laughs> you, does that trigger anything in you, bro? Because you, uh, you know, I know you're deep into the adrenochrome <laughs> research. Gabe, yeah. yes, dude. Side note: Yeah, I've been working on a on a, a long book about adrenochrome and the history, and it ties into psychedelics and more more on that later. More on that to come. Yes. So, 
Even in these spells, there's a little, little weirdness. The minor section contains a spell to make a woman fart uncontrollably and another <laughs> to make someone think that his body was enormous and that black men are trying to kill him. There's also another spell to summon a black man with a stick. This is uh, actually uh, also known fuck? as the, 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 the Jesse Smollett spell. <laughs> no? Nobody's going to? Okay. Well. All right. So, again, very <laughs> crazy fucking book. Now... For the love of God, there's a spell to create a mini cow with the face of a man, wings, and bird claws. Bull brains have to be mixed with human blood, then put in a vessel in the ground where they evolve like horrific Pokemon. First into a snake with horns and huge eyes, then bee-like worms, then a fish with a human face. Finally, the mixture becomes the cow, which you decapitate and make its fat into an ointment that can turn someone either into a pig or an ape. Okay? This is fucking crazy heavy shit. Again, there are some normalish spells. The Library of AK has rituals to create rain, make plants grow in an hour, and trees to bend over. It has experiments to make armies and giants appear in the sky. So, research David Pingtree has shown the Library of AK probably dates to the late 19th century. Translated and adapted for another Ninth text. century. So, sorry, 9th century. Uh, although only fragments of the uh, Arabic versions exist, and there's only like three fragments of that. It seems as if, for all its oddness, the Libravake is a fairly influential text. There's a reference to it in the iconic magical books like the Picatrix. So I'm sorry. So earlier I said that the, that they refer to the Picatrix in this, but it's the other way around. So the Picatrix refers to the Libravake. Yeah, this, um, this came before the Picatrix yeah. or, or shortly before it. So here we go. It's Spain. Da, da, da. Uh, and their versions attributed to the famous philosophers slash scientists uh, such as Galen and Plato, including versions where the volume title has been changed to Vacay Platonus. And I want to point out that there is a book named uh, Plato's Holy Cow, which is a book about some sort of symbolism. I didn't read it because, again, uh, it was late last night and I was like, you know what? I've had enough. I've had enough about this shit. So. The Library of AK sits as a sort of strange organic counterpart to the astral magic found in the Picatrix, while the Picatrix is largely based upon harnessing the natural astro astrological properties of various substances, inscribing them to optimize their power, and then using incantations to activate the latent energy. The Library of AK is largely concerned with its own rather fringe ideas about the miscibility of the soul and the transmissibility of magical energies. Jeez, that was a mouthful. A huge part of the sexualized violence in the text represents the violence of conception and birth, creating a series of conceptions and artificial wounds, wombs that provoke creatures to evolve to a point where their soul energy can be harvested and used to give the sorcerer godlike powers. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Does that sound like adrenochrome? This is, yeah, we're back to yeah. adrenochrome again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was like, dude, this this is so heavily coded that, like, you know, at the time it was written, because I was kind of looking up when the fuck it was written, and there's books reviewing this in the history of magic and shit like that, and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're they're basically saying, like, people in the medieval times were, you know, like, reading this, and they were just kind of like, okay, so but <laughs> it was pretty popular at the time for, like, the actual learned people that could understand what the fuck so talking about. this is actually required reading when you get off the boat to little st james <laughs> so check this out there you go ladies and gentlemen we will be doing a deep dive with a scholar who has written a paper on this book because it gets you think this was fucked up it gets even more fucked up okay and this is what we're about here at the occult book club about bringing the fucked up shit to the people and showing them that this is this is real to some people this is remember there was a reason that the dark ages existed because people were taking 
the Bible to a literal sense. Now, there's a mystical comprehension to, to things, how there is a literal comprehension to things. And to think that something like this, this uh, it's called the, the uh, I forgot what they, the abominable uh, mixture, I think is what they referred to it as, right? Because we have in the Old Testament, as uh, Thomas and I were conversing about uh, about five hours ago, where in the Old Testament, God didn't want the Israelites mixing certain things together. He didn't want certain seeds, even certain people, mixing and commingling together. So here you have this just monstrosity of a book that's just so fucked up and just so dark about doing things to animals and doing things with brains and semen and all this stuff in order to create a homunculi. Okay, you know, this is this is uh, did you have that other one uh, pulled up? Uh, Thomas, about creating the homunculi, with the... I can go. I can go off the top of the head with the homun- homunculus. Yeah. Yeah. So again, the way that this relates to everything is, I read the homunculi in the Manly P. Hall shit. I did a little bit of d- d- uh, deeper research, and I came across this shit. And so I'm gonna we're gonna have this scholar on to talk about it in a deeper sense because it's uh, Islamic occultism, and it goes deeper than just what we read. It's like, bro. What, and and she goes deep on that specific book of the cow. Um, there's a whole other, and we can probably get into this in, in uh, future occult book clubs. But I think Paracelsus is one of the original guys that came up with this concept of homunculi, and it, it's kind of a fascinating topic in its own right because it's this concept of being able to generate life without the binding of the two opposites, the male and the female energy. It's a way to just take male energy and reproduce it with more male energy mm-hmm. and it's based on this idea I mean, this kind of flawed pseudoscience but they kind of believe that inside each sperm was like a little miniature person like a little miniature man mm-hmm. and yeah. that all you had to do was like raise that little man into a big man mm-hmm. and if you didn't actually have you know a, a female to do that with that's why they only came out to be one instance was like nine inches some say that they you know grew to be like three or four feet um, but it was just because they were stunted uh, because, you know, you were kind of like growing this up as like a little seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it's sounds just like a lot of failed science experiments, right? A lot of failed science experiments and a, <laughs> yeah. and a lot of lonely guys that were like, if I only had a friend and, you know, <laughs> the solution there was to 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 make them to eat your jizz and sit around and wait for your friend to pop up. And thinking about this time, you know, the time eras and when these books are written, like, I mean, first of all, just ev- everything is so different from our modern society by by any and all means. And like these types of, you know, like the porn was made in books like they would <laughs> you would get dirty writing of like the most filthy, crude type of things just to get people off in books. And it's it's so wild, bro. It's so wild. It, it, um, instead of the mom walking in and, and the kids on the computer looking at porn, it's like walks in like, what are you doing? I'm trying to create a homunculus mom that, that sock underneath your drawer just yeah. like starts there's growing a, there's there's a homunculi <laughs> in there yeah. he starts coming out from the bottom of your bed it's like oh, oh wow so again this branches into jack parsons and i wanted to bring something up in the book secret societies and psychological warfare that i wasn't able to to you know on the topic of we have rabbi low which was the original creator of the golem in Prague, right he was trying to to uh protect his his town from the the jews being slaughtered right and that that has a connection to jack parsons but check this out right here uh and i wasn't able to confirm this because again it's this in uh secret societies and psychological warfare by michael hoffman which i will be having him on the show very soon 
We have nice. Parsons, That's Hubbard, awesome. and the OTO knew that during the first atomic bomb blast at the Trinity site in New Mexico, the land of enchantment, a large steel cylinder nicknamed Jumbo by construction workers had been placed near ground zero. They were observed, obsessed with the idea that this cylinder had been a means of radioactively animating a tiny, a tiny mannequin known in alchemy as the homunculus. And that this homunculus represented the first creation of artificial life on Earth since Rabbi Lowe's Golem. So ever since the beginning of time, right, man has been obsessed with becoming a god, right? This is how you have as above, so below. You have Satanists saying that you... you the fall you, of Atlantis. The fall of Atlantis, right? You have or all I would argue things. either obsessed with becoming a god or obsessed with building a shrine to a god. One or the two. Tower of Babel, which I think <laughs> you know. CERN is a modern-day Tower of Babel. Now, I'm going to save some fire for, again, the live stream on April 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on the Interverse podcast. But I wanted to just add just one little bit more here. Uh, magicians sought to make this homunculus. They, pre they proceeded to try to make the homunculus on very curious lines. Furthermore, and that this is the crucial point, they thought that by performing this experiment in a specially prepared place, a place magically protected against all incompatible forces, and by invoking into that place some one force, force which they desired some tremendously powerful being and that they had conjurations which they thought capable of doing this that they would be able to cause the incarnation of beings of infinite knowledge and power who would be able to bring the whole world into light and truth so the idea of the homunculi is to bring forth this little being this little almost like a goblin or a gremlin, right? Like and it yeah. makes a little mini yeah. me. It, it, it makes a little me, mini me. Yeah, and Elf. it makes me think of the Denisovans too. Where like it's like these little people. So yeah. and we know that they existed. They said that they existed during the time of Tartaria. You had giants in the time of Tartaria and then you have this one book talking about if you, you know, if you have sex with a cow, you can bring forth giants and they appear. Da, da. So I do think that back then the world was like Harry Potter. Okay, I do think that we've been demystified. Look at Thomas's fucking face. Look at him. <laughs> Look at his fucking face, bro. I, I, I don't have a poker face. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm working on it. This is staying automatic. This idea, right, of breaking the ultimate taboo, breaking the ultimate taboo of doing these horrific things, bestiality and all these things that are just horrific. Again, part of the dark arts, part of the occult, part of this esoteric circles that we don't even know about that the that you know that because a lot of these guys in the, in these higher orders of initiation they were sworn to secrecy, so we don't know they about could, a lot of, you know they could be talking about alchemical processes where they're using codes and it's not actually the physical item. Well, why would you use the codes that you're using? You know what I mean? Like they need a new PR person. <laughs> they need a new PR person. Like you know what I mean? Just put in there. I mean. Well, the, actually, there, there's a really good point on that about memory techniques. I was mentioning before that you remember things that are extreme. You don't remember a boring ass list of eggs, bread, milk, you know what I mean? Things like that. I can if respect you, that. If you try to memorize that same list, but now you see like a room full of eggs and they're all just getting like smashed constantly. And then the, a, a huge cow comes in and knocks you across the room. And then um, <laughs> it knocks you into a huge bread the size of your house. Like these things you'll remember when you go to the store and you're like, oh shit, you know, eggs, steak, bread, because these crazy um, larger than life visions that you're imagining. So I think, I mean, I don't know for sure, especially in this book, but there's definitely like a, a heavy aspect to that where these huge tales of gods and large, you know, traumatic events, it just, it's so much easier to remember and encode knowledge into. So now, I don't fun. know what the dog dick stood for, but it could have been <laughs> something like, 
really, I, really high class and like, you know, like cool. Maybe it's dogwood that's a branch of the dogwood tree and you need to get like, a, you know, the perfect, you know, branch to whittle it down and make a wand to fucking enchant it with some. Fuck, I don't I have no idea. I'm the Hollywood, <laughs> right? The Hollywood, yeah. that, that the ones that they use for the wands and shit. So, again, it's 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 up for interpretation. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So I think that's that's a a preview just the tip uh, maybe the dog dick tip of what we're going to be getting into so what the fuck is this <laughs> wait wait whoa, whoa. i want to get into one final thing if we're about to sign off let yeah, me go ahead uh, bro like so but the, the check most... this comment out by kaylee shout wait, out to kaylee go. dog dick dog equals go. leo equals speaking son. of leo's son remind me before we go on on something that came <laughs> up with that exact freaking combination <laughs> Go ahead, hmm. go ahead, Roman. Interesting. <laughs> uh, the Baconian shit, yo. Like I, I, the shit that blew my mind while reading today in the the All Seeing Eye was like the shit I learned about Francis Bacon because I've been kind of running with this like this Baconian connection with Roger Bacon and Francis Bacon mm-hmm. because you know like they both were heavy in the science. They changed the science game. They changed the alchemy game. They were leaders. And what I found out about Francis Bacon today is that he was actually supposed to be the king of England. Like, his mother was the queen of England. And, I mean, I can read the serp of it. I have it pulled up right here. But I was like, oh, what? Francis Bacon? The reason why he was, like, trying to code everything, and he took the page 89 out of every one of his books. Um, and, you know, he, they know have that. the... That's crazy. They, the Baconian cipher to break down all of the Shakespeare plays because what he was doing was he was exposing all of this inside information by being this, the, uh, the, the, the Royal right to the heir of the throne of England. And uh, I was like, Holy shit. And then, so, you know, then what does it say? Um, oh, dear, sweet Lord, dear, sweet, uh, sweet Christ. Oh, unprofessional eh? of you, bro. So terrible. Okay, right here, right here. Calm um, down, Jordy. <laughs> Francis Bacon has been long considered a Rosicrucian initiate. His remarkable work, The New Atlantis, a Rosicrucian enigma, there was a story afloat concerning with certain Masonic brethren are supposed to have the information to the effect that the supposed death and burial of Francis Bacon were a mock ceremony, that what? he had changed his name to Germany where he published under the name of Jonathan Valinta Andre. Ev- and made the chemical marriage of the Christian Rosicruits, one of the first most famous Rosicrucian manifestos. While it is difficult to prove such a theory, there are many things that point to the probability of the story. Bacon was one of the most brilliant minds in Europe ever produced and is considered to be the father of all modern science. He remodeled the British law, establishing the systems of jurisprudence, which remain active to this day. The cryptograms in his various documents point to the fact that he was actually the son of Queen Elizabeth and the Earl of Leicester. The original marriage contract is said to be in existence with the present time, but the unhappy and sudden death of the Earl caused Queen Elizabeth to conceal the marriage. This being the case, Francis Bacon was the true heir to the throne of England. But he was never able to claim this title. The secret which he possessed of, uh, to the effect that he was the legitimate heir to the throne is now believed that by Baconian experts to be the prime cause of the unwarranted percurs- uh, persecution heaped on him by his contemporaries. I got to think, if he was that smart, he probably wouldn't want to be king. You you don't want to be like the actual king. You want to be the guy that's talking into the king's ear, right? 
he lived his real life, dude. Like, yeah. he, you know, like he got to be Francis Bacon instead of being the king of England, who's even more fucking mysterious and a cult <laughs> than the king of England would have been. No, everybody hates the kings of England. They're all king, fucking King Louis ass, bitch ass <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Cake ass motherfucker. <laughs> and that that would make a lot of sense because obviously we know that you know they they relate Francis Bacon to William Shakespeare and Francis Bacon was the supposed editor of the King James version of the Bible. And if you haven't checked out my episode on the King James version of the Bible's origin story, I recommend that you do check that out because again, how we mentioned earlier in the podcast about using things that we don't really know the history about, a lot of the things that we use, even these books, these ancient scriptures, a lot of it has a cultic you know, uh, origins and, and King James was, uh, what, a, a witch sympathizer. He was, you know, uh, he was scared of magic supposedly, but he wrote about werewolves, vampires, all this crazy shit. And this is the guy attributed that made everybody put this in their home. So, and he's connected to Francis Bacon. Okay. So what do we see there? Oh, and dude, you know, I just noticed I have a cock on my, on my hat. <laughs> <laughs> It's a Braxis. Yes. Hey, oh, uh, okay. Can anyone touch on this? Quetzalcoatl uh, is the, like, the Mayan god of, like, the feathered serpent that came from the ocean, which is, like, said to be the Atlanteans. The feathered serpent is your spinal column. So the story of Santa descending down from the chimney, that's, uh, you know, a, a symbolic story of of consciousness ascending down or or enlightenment ascending down through the chimney and the chimney represents the the spinal column and the 33 vertebrae represent the 33 years of Christ's life so Quetzalcoatl the reason that it's the feathered serpent is because the 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 people of that time they needed a way in order to use words to interpret what they were actually saying so Quetzalcoatl it means literally feathered serpent now you're, you're bringing up the the connection with the practice I haven't personally been able to, to come up with any I don't know if Thomas has but I think that well, well hold on because you mentioned Santa and that was a little bit of a tangent, and I just got to throw some extra bits on that. That, that the uh, the metaphor of, of Santa going down the chimney, uh, I believe this to be based on Siberian shaman who gathered the Amanita muscara mushrooms <laughs> during the spring, and mm-hmm. they saved them up and they dried them for the winter. And what would happen in these little yurts, which were like the little um, huts in the area, when it would snow, it would snow over the front door, so you couldn't get in and out of the front door. What? So the shaman would come to these people's houses <laughs> around Christmas time, come down the chimney, because it was the only way into the house, and he would <laughs> deliver them these mushrooms. And the way that they would put the mushrooms up, because they would, um, in order to kind of concentrate it, make it stronger, you would put it in your leather boot or stocking and hang it over the chimney with care. And this would, after like a week or so, it would concentrate all of the psychoactive chemicals in Amanita Mascara. Uh, so all this concept of Santa going down the chimney. Anyways, total fucking tangent. I just had wow. to throw that out there. That's hilarious. That's amazing. Well, I was saying, I mean, in, in the in the mind, uh, you know, uh, canon, if you will, uh, it's supposed to be like where they got all of their information, where they got their math, where they got their written language and everything was from Quetzalcoatl, right? Like the feathered serpent. And I thought his, that was his counterparts kind of, is like Lucifer, Prometheus. He was kind of like the the Prometheus for their culture, essentially. Yeah, and that's what Abraxas is too, right? Like Abraxas is this this bringer of knowledge. And I thought there was a correlation between Abraxas and Quetzalcoatl. I thought that was pretty tight. That's actually and a really cool connection. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think a that's br- worth, bringer. That's worth diving into. I w- I would like to learn the connections there between all those because again, it's very mysterious. Even Abraxas itself, which you know, I'm fascinated with the Gnostics and all this stuff. 
Uh, every time your feed cuts, you come back with new glasses on. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the point. But I like to feel the vision on these better, so that's why. So is that those ones are sick? Actually, those ones. Are just, whoop. Yeah, here we go. We have Jake talking about uh, what, whoop, which one? Hold on. Yeah, uh, three six five. So yeah, but yep. that, that's the you know three hundred and sixty five days of the year, the three hundred and sixty degrees of the horizon. Also, his his snake symbology is the Ouroboros, mm-hmm. which again is uh, a complete circle, three six five. Yeah, exactly. That's and and he is the ruler of the highest upper eon, that the god of gods, if you will. So you know mm-hmm. you have that connection there, but it, it's worth diving into. And I wanted to focus, you know, on this series. If we're going to continue, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Maybe the next episode that we do is going to be about something else, but. The Manly P. Hall, the all-seeing eye, we want to take it in uh, in issue numbers, right? We'll do an episode on, you know, number two, one through five or one through six. And then after that, and then maybe jump around because there's a lot, a lot that we can talk about. So much. So, so much. much in there. And I think that it's it's just a good stepping stone to use to talk about other topics, which, again, you got the, the, the book of the cows in there that, that came up from reading Manly P. Hall stuff. So... You know, that's why I wanted to throw that in there. And it has to do with the homunculi. It's like this crazy ritual that you do, which is fucked. But I think it's appropriate to the occult book club because your grandma ain't listening to this show and trying to figure out what book she wants to read. But here we are. Although diving. Grandma would have been listening to Manly P. Hall and then maybe getting a little bit broken off. And then she's signing <laughs> yep. over some of your inheritance to Manly P. Hall, too. <laughs> Manly P. Hall was that OG. So let's let's wrap this up, guys. Can you guys share your 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 social media for the people and thank you for everyone who showed up and was here and stuck through the bullshit. And, uh, hopefully you found some interesting stuff. And I, 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 the all seeing, eye, you can find them online and read a lot of interesting shit in there and maybe follow with us. You know, we're going to break down a couple of them and a lot of these interesting stories. So Thomas, can you plug your shit so people can find you, bro? Yeah, man. Paranoidamerican.com. Check out Amazon. Look for paranoid American and then, Go to page five or six or ten or something, wherever they got us down on. And then at Paranoid American on Instagram, man. Check us out. Awesome. So, uh, Roman, can you plug your shit? Uh, Rising from the Ashes podcast, RFTA pod on Instagram and and Telegram. Trying to post as much as possible on there because it's... uh, it's actually a form of social media I can fuck with. You broke up there. Rising from the Ashes podcast and what else, bro? Because the, the lizards cut your feet for a second. Those fucking twats. Uh, RFTA pod on Instagram and then Telegram. Check it out, dude. Telegram's the tits. I like that. It's a type of social media platform I can actually dig. Uh, post a lot of fun uh, epiphanies that happen all day while we're searching through this crazy shit. So check it out. Follow me on social media at the one one podcast YouTube make sure to like this video make sure to to subscribe to the YouTube channel follow me on rockfin rockfin.com slash the one one podcast also patreon.com slash the one one podcast where I post exclusive content on there with the Illuminati confirmed crew which everybody loves and I think that's going to be a really big show and we got a lot of things planned in the near future with a lot of big guests so make sure to check us out on there make sure to check me out on social media and Thank you for all those who showed up. I think this was a fucking hell of a time and very, very occult and weird at one point. So thank you so much. We're just getting started. Yeah, we're just getting started. Uh, So check us out. And yeah, until next time, everybody, stay strange and don't be a piece of shit. Peace.